God, we are, um, we are constantly bombarded with all sorts of things that want our attention, and it's no different as we sit here this morning. God, my prayer is that you would help us to focus, um, that you would help us to chase away any of the other thoughts that are in our minds, and that you would help us to, for just a moment, um, focus on what the scriptures tell us um, and how they might be able to continue to transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, it is no accident, there is no PowerPoint, uh, partially on purpose and partially because this week was a lot shorter than others, or is that just me? This week, it flew by, um, and it didn't help that I spent hours upon hours in the freezing cold on Thursday night waiting for Target to open up. I, uh, I've always made fun of all of my friends who have done that at Best Buy. <laughs> I make fun of people from the pulpit <laughs> because I, it never made sense to me, but now I have three kids and it makes complete sense, all the savings that we could get. And we didn't even buy that many things, but um, I think it was worth it, if not just to spend uninterrupted hours with my bride. <laughs> never mind, I was going to say something else, but she'll get mad at me later. <laughs> That's, um, this morning is a very important Sabbath. Um, actually, that wait, the, the waiting outside helped to kind of fuel and understand our, our text and our sermon for this morning. Um, this morning is the first Sabbath in Advent. Now, for, for most of us in Adventist churches, we don't really celebrate Advent. We don't really observe Advent. We hardly talk about it except that we are Seventh-day what? Adventists. But see, what happens sometimes is people will say, well, the Catholics have this thing and, and, and they do every year, they, they kind of follow what's called a Christian calendar. And the five, I believe it's the five weeks leading up to Christmas is what is considered Advent. Now, I don't know what goes on in their churches or what they do for Advent. I have no idea. All I know is that we have an opportunity instead of just talking about, well, Christmas is here. And now we're going to listen to Christmas songs. And now, you know, everyone's going to decorate their stores and their places of business in Christmas. What I want to say is I want to take back Christmas. And I want to say, really, what we are thinking and celebrating and observing for the next five weeks is that the coming of Jesus happened 2,000 years ago. And we are awaiting his return. When we use the word Advent, all I simply mean, and I understand that there's sensitive subjects in Adventist churches sometimes when we use terms that we don't generally use, but the reality is, is all Advent is, is a time where we remember that when we celebrate Christmas, it's not so much about the gifts or the trees, which, which we love, and I think they're great traditions if you have them, but what we're really doing is we are remembering, focusing, and centering our minds and thoughts on the fact that God would not leave us alone and so he comes in the form of Jesus. That is the true meaning of Christmas. So this morning, for our first Sabbath in Advent, we are going to be looking at a text found in Matthew chapter 24. Advent is the thinking, the, the, it's, it's, a, it's the expectation of the coming Christ. That is what we think about. That is what we focus on. And so this morning... You're going to have to follow along closely because we don't have a PowerPoint. This is an exercise in your attention. We want to see how many of you have attention deficit disorder this morning. Matthew 24. Jesus in a conversation to his um, disciples, right? People always want to know, Jesus, when you leave, when are you going to come back? Everybody wants to know, when is Jesus coming back? 
there are some of you in here, and I don't know which ones, but I'm assuming if, if I'm right, there are some of you who will interpret every single new thing in life as to Jesus is coming now. I remember growing up, and I think I've told you this story before, I had a pastor one time who told me that the calendars were off and we were actually three years ahead of time. So when it was going to be 1997 and 96, right, this pastor told me that because the calendars are off, Jesus is going to come back in the year 2000, but because the calendars are off, he's actually going to be here when? 1997. I know some of you have heard about this before. So I remember that night, it was windy, it was stormy. For some reason, we equate storms and winter with the return of Jesus. Have any of you ever done that? Have any of you ever gone outside? It, it, the, the clouds, and it just looks crazy, and people say, well, Jesus is coming. I don't get that, because the return of Jesus is supposed to be something joyful and good for us, and yet we equate earthquakes and all of these horrible things that Jesus must be coming. Well, on this night, I remember on the 31st of December, 1996, I was terrified in my bed thinking, if Jesus comes now, I am not going to heaven. I mean, in 97, I was 16. I was afraid. I had no idea what it meant that Jesus, in his grace, not only offers me forgiveness, but offers me assurance of salvation. I had no idea. All I thought is I had to be good enough in order to get into heaven. All I knew is that those lies and all of those sins that I forget to confess at night are going to keep me out of eternal life with God. So I was terrified. Well, Jesus' disciples were the same way. He hadn't even left, and he was asking, and they were already asking, when are you going to come back? And so in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, Jesus says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Jesus privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be? So all of these things that Jesus was talking about that will signify his return. And what will be the sign of the coming, of your coming, and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. He didn't say, well, when this last thing happens, then I'm going to come back. He didn't give a year. In fact, the Bible writers go through great lengths to tell us no one knows when Jesus is going to come. Nobody knows. Because if you know, then is, if we know that it's like 20 years from now, will you be in a rush to, to kind of come to Jesus or be ready? Or will you wait until the last moment when it's absolutely like, okay, now I have to really get serious about this and then give your heart to Jesus? Is that real or is that just out of self-interest? Does that make sense? I remember one time I was, I was house-sitting for some friends of mine for I think it was like an entire summer. It was like, it was two months. And I'm, I'm usually a pretty clean person. But, you know, sometimes it's easy to be messy. And so I would remember, like, I would clean the house on a weekly basis so it stayed pretty clean, but I didn't do a very good job until the week that they were supposed to come back. That week before, I did a really good job because I knew exactly when they were coming. Was I clean the whole time? No, but, but as long as it was clean when they got back, then they would think that I was clean, right? <laughs> That's sometimes how we, how we play with our faith in God. We get scared, and so we want to be saved. We want to be close to Jesus. So when we get scared when there's these things, and when you have preachers up here standing that the end is coming, and it's coming soon, so you better be ready. Instead of us saying, oh, I'm so glad Jesus is coming, and I can't wait to be with him. Sometimes what happens to some of you 
is you get afraid and out of fear, you, you in essence kind of commit your life to Jesus, but it's not out of love, it's out of fear. That's not faith. That's not love. Where there is love, there is no fear. Jesus says, make sure that no one leads you astray. Because it's probably what was true is that there's people who are always going to be giving you all sorts of mixed messages and mixed ideas of what it means that Jesus is coming. Sometimes people will tell you that to be a good Seventh-day Adventist, you have to live your life this way. And if you don't, then you're wrong. But the reality is, is Jesus says, as long as you're focused on me, and I'm paraphrasing, you will not be led astray. Even as Christians, you can be led astray or you can lead others astray. Jesus talking to religious people in the first century, he calls religious people, okay, the people who had a corner on, on God, the people who understood the scriptures, who memorized the scriptures. These were the people that knew the Bible by heart, and what does Jesus call them? Blind fools. That is also a message for us. We have to be careful that we aren't also blind fools and are led astray or lead others astray. So let's go into the parable that we really want to focus on this morning. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, verse 1. So Jesus uses parables, stories, and he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. I'm going to just say groom. Because that's weird, right? Bridegroom? I never hear that these days. So they went to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the groom. Come out to meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, while they were going to buy the groom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But they answered, but he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. When we talk about the return of Jesus, what I often hear from Christian preachers, whether it's Adventist or non-Adventist, on this one they're kind of the same, is they always say, you have to be ready. But do any of you really know what that means? What are some of the answers you would give to somebody when, when you hear, well, you have to be ready? People are going to say stuff like, well, you have to make sure you're reading your Bible all the time, and you have to make sure you're praying, and you have to make sure that some of those sins, you, you eliminate them because you, a good Christian doesn't sin. And to be ready means that you have to have your life together, and you have to have everything right, because then, if you don't, that means you don't really believe in God. Is that true? Do you have your life together? Do you have it, everything going well? Are you sinless? Do you read your Bible every day? Do, do you spend purposeful time in prayer every single day? 
See, when we focus on being ready and doing those things, what you're actually saying is, I'm going to do the very best that I can so that then God will see and say, okay, you really meant it. The problem with that is when we get used to the idea that we can be good enough, we eliminate the need for the cross. When we begin to believe that there is a certain level of Christian maturity that you must reach before you then enter or then you have assurance of salvation, the problem with that is that there are people who will not reach that level that you have set. And then, but what you're saying though is if you reach this level, then God doesn't really have to do that much work. The problem with that is that that cheapens God's grace. Now, I understand that some of you might be thinking, well, pastor, are you saying then that you can still be a sinner? And, and, you know, there's some people who are going to take advantage of that. Here's the problem. You all take advantage of that too. Because you and I are sinners and we will continue to be sinners until Jesus returns. I, I mean, is that clear? Bible's pretty clear about that. I feel like I'm scolding you guys. I don't know why. <laughs> I had no conversations with any. I think this is just pent up over the years of hearing a different kind of preaching everywhere I've been. Grace cost God everything. And we cannot cheapen it by saying, I can do a lot of this myself, God. I only need your help a little bit. Last week, Paul says, when I am weak, when I am weak in sin, then I am strong because God's grace is enough for me. So there are five wise virgins and five foolish ones. The point and the issue is not that they were asleep, because we could say, well, you know, there are some, you know, I, I can come up with a sermon like this. There are some of you who are asleep Christians, and you're backslidden, and you need to wake up. The problem is all of the virgins fell asleep. So sleep is not the issue in this text. The issue is that some thought in advance to bring extra oil for their lamps to have light, and some did not. I would put it this way. The five foolish virgins, they didn't really care about the groom. All they cared about was themselves. Oh, well, you know, when the groom comes, then I can get some more oil then. Oh, when the groom, you know, I don't really need extra oil. It's not a big deal. Who cares? I, I, don't, I don't need to bring more. Their purpose, their intention was not in, we can't wait until he comes. It was just like, well, I'm just going to kind of go through it and do it and whatever. And when, and when the groom comes, then we'll go. The others were prepared in the sense of they were waiting and anticipating and wanting and desiring to see the groom. See, on the one hand, we might think, well, this is about works. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you doing good things, Right? The, the, the wise ones are the ones that did all of the things right, and the foolish ones were like, well, who cares, whatever. But there's an even deeper implication to this. It goes down to the motivation of your heart. When it comes to your spirituality and your faith, at the core of your faith is why do you believe? Do you believe because you have a genuine interest in spending eternity with God? Because have you started it now? Are you spending quality time with God now? Or do you want to go into eternity because you've seen those movies of Judgment Day and you don't want to experience the wrath? I mean, you have to really ask yourselves that. I remember one time um, somebody asked my, my last church, there was a guest preacher, and he asked everybody in the church, he says, well, no, he, he invited um like 10 people up, and he says, I want you to write on this piece of paper, if Jesus came today, would you be saved? 
And I think maybe out of the 10 people, two people said yes. The rest of them said no because they were still living under the paradigm that their salvation is based on how good they could be. And we know that that just isn't true. It's about the motivation of your heart and your willingness to trust God in all things. Now, I want to go to another, another story. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. And we're going to read it kind of quickly. You can just listen. It's another parable, so it's good. It's a story. Verse, verse 1. And, Jesus, um, and again, Jesus spoke to, to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for the son and sent his servants to call, to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast, but they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And, and those servants went out into the roads, gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without, a, without wedding garments? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, when we read this story, we think, well, if that's a picture of God, he's kind of mean. Because if we don't do things the way he wants us to, then he's going to kill us or he's going to throw us out into the place where there is, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But it's not really about that. All of us are invited to enter this big wedding feast, which is metaphor for when we will enter into eternal life. But as it is, one of these men goes in without wedding garments, and we could begin to use the allegory that what this means is there are some of us who are trying to enter into eternity, but we're trying to do it ourselves. When the reality is, is that Isaiah says that God clothes us with the garments of salvation and the garments of righteousness. What God wants is not for people who are trying to do everything themselves, but he wants people who are willing to allow his death and his resurrection to provide for you the assurance of salvation. This is repetitive, I know. And maybe this isn't like one of those super fun sermons where I crack a lot of jokes, but because this is of crucial importance, my job one part of my job is to preach the gospel, and this is the gospel. And he says, and those who, who didn't want anything to do with the door was shut on them. So I have an illustration to give you. On Thursday night when we were sitting in line, right, it was cold. I mean, it was so cold I had to go home and get more blankets. That's how cold it was on Thursday night. I had like triple layers of clothes, and I was still freezing. And I liked the cold, but it was cold. 
So finally, at around 3.50, because I think they opened the doors at 4 o'clock, at around 3.50, um, the, the, way, the way Target has it, and I had a picture of this, but I didn't, I didn't send it to the PowerPoint guys. There was, um, they had it barricaded off so people couldn't cheat, because apparently a few years ago, there was people who waited all night, and then right when they opened the doors, there was a gang of other people that just kind of rushed the doors who didn't wait at all, and there was, they had the police out there. There was almost like a big fight. I mean, this is what I heard. I wasn't there. So this year, they tried to make it so that people couldn't cut in, and what ended up happening is we were lined up around the building, and we were walking in as soon as they opened the doors, and what you had is, like, if we were walking in this way, like, right here where all the pews were, there was just people, like, watching and looking, trying to find, and then you had some people who would kind of, you know, be reading the little, the the article or whatever, where they they have the advertisements, and they would kind of be reading it and trying to inch closer and closer, (laughs) and, you know, I'm a nice guy, but I waited, I was there. I prepared. I am not going to let them in. <laughs> but I think sometimes that's kind of an illusion or, or an allegory to what our spiritual life is like. Like we want to do the, now see, and I, and I know this might sound like a contradiction, but it's like, it's like we want to do the very, le- like, like we just want to do enough to get into Target to get the 46-inch TV. They, I mean, it, people are crazy. And, like, people were just like, they were pushing each other. They were running in the store. I, I seriously, I, I was afraid. And I'm, I don't get afraid. But it was for TVs that weren't even that good. They were bad. They weren't big. But I think sometimes, and let me see if I can put this right. I think sometimes in our lives of faith, we want to just do enough to get that thing but it's just because we don't, we, we want it for ourselves. It's selfishly. And then there are those of, 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 of us, there are those of us who will wait in line patiently, knowing that one day we will enter into eternity. And, and what I would say is this, the being prepared, the being in line isn't what we do so that we could get in. It's that we do it with, just to get the prize It's that we do it with the motivation that we want to spend every single moment with God daily. Jesus says that eternal life begins now, and it is knowing God. Jesus speaks, does, does Jesus talk a lot about heaven? Not really. He talks about the kingdom of heaven, which is something that starts now. He talks about the kingdom of God, which is something that starts now. Jesus never describes heaven or eternity, except to say that God will be there with us. Are you beginning to kind of understand what we're trying to get at here? It's not just about what you can get out of heaven. It's about who will be there with you. In order to be prepared, it's not a matter of the checklist of all the things that you do. It's the motivation for why you believe. Why do you come to church? I mean, you know, don't, obviously don't answer this to me. Why do you come to church? Is it just because you feel like you have to, and and if you don't, then you're a bad Christian? That's a bad motivation to come to church. I remember this one guy would always ask me, um, do you have to go to church, right? He was like a loaded question, right? You ask a pastor, do you have to go to church? What's the right answer going to be? Well, but to him, what's the right answer going to be? Yes. But I would tell him, I said, no, you don't have to go to church because going to church isn't going to make you saved. There's a ton of people in church who may not be saved. 
And he would just rail against me and tell people that pastor says that he don't have to go to church. But the point is, you come to church not to fill your quota. You come to church because this is where we gather and we worship and we pray. And that's why it's important that we, as a church, learn to get along. And the only way to get along in any relationship is what? To be humble and to learn what? Forgiveness. To learn the right time to say, I was wrong. To learn the right time to say, please forgive me because of what I've done. There will be people who wait for Jesus because they've been having a relationship with him now. And then there are those of others who will wait for Jesus just because they want to get into heaven and they want to get into the party, but they haven't had the motivation to be with Jesus. Is that clear? You know, this morning, I didn't have too much more to say than that. Because that's the pretty simple message. What is your motivation for, Jesus, for, for wanting Jesus to return? Is it just to get rescued and get out of this place because it's so bad and horrible? Or is it because you just desire to be with Christ? And if your desire is to spend time with Christ, we can have that now. And it doesn't just happen here. When we gather together in church, this is where we spend time together. This is where we spend time getting to know each other and building and growing. And that's why potlucks are so important for us. It's not because it's the best food we're ever going to have. I, I, no, that didn't sound right. Come on, guys. You know, <laughs> what, what I mean by that is, you could probably go to some five-star restaurant and get the highest quality food, and you're going to pay a lot for it, right? That's what I mean. At Potluck, obviously, it's hard to make in mass all of the very best stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about. But the reason the Potluck is important is not because of the food that we're eating. It's because of who we are eating with. In the Bible, Jesus would eat with sinners and the bad people and the tax collector and the hookers and, and all of the bad people. Jesus would eat with them because that's when you enter into relationship with one another. I have visited some of your homes and you have fed me. And, I mean, having food just makes things so much better, right? Food is good. Potluck. If you're not staying because you'd rather go to Olive Garden, or that's a bad analogy, um, some other good restaurant that you really like or, or you just want to go home and be left alone, if that's not why you're staying, I would encourage you just for one month, the two times we have potluck, just come and be and experience with us. I know you've had a long week. I've had a long week too. But just come and experience and just be with us. And I guarantee you that the more you do that, the more not only your relationship with God will be better, but the relationship with each other will be better. It's true. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but it's just eating. No, it's more than eating. It's sharing a table and spending time with people and getting to know people. In order for the church to be the body of God, we must be a church who enters into relationship with each other. And Because and, if you don't, if we're not entering relationship with each other, we're missing the point of what it means that Jesus loves us and saves us. So with all of that said, I will end with this challenge. In order to be the like the wise virgin, in order to be like the wise virgin, I would encourage you to check your, expect your, your motivation 
for why you want Jesus to return. And if there are some of you in here who, who are thinking, I don't want him to come just yet because there's a lot of things I want to get done. I would ask you to think, what is your motivation for having faith in Jesus? That is the point. What is the motivation for your faith and love and trust of Jesus? So with that said, that's where I kind of end the theological discourse. I want to invite Kim to come up for just a moment. And we want to say something. No, she's not pregnant. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? We already got married. Everything's good, but no. Well, just from the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you guys so much for what you guys did for us last Sabbath. Um, you guys had a little reception. I thought it was just going to be like a potluck, and it just was this amazing, um, I don't know, party yeah. reception. Um, and, and so from the bottom of our hearts, we are thankful because you guys actually seem to really like us and love us <laughs> so far. No, no, I'm just saying. And I know, I know that I, I know that I'm still new, so you guys are still giving me a chance. I hope that you will continue to love me even when I say things that I say them the wrong way or when I'm misinterpreted. Um, but we want to thank you. And we want to thank you because it was a gift that was given to us um, that we really did not expect. And I won't say what it is. You guys know. But, um, we, I mean, we were moved in a way that we haven't been. Um, my last two churches were amazing. I love them dearly. Um, but you guys are extremely amazing, and we are thankful to be a part of this church, and we're thankful that you're allowing us the chance um, to minister and to learn and to be with you and to grow with you, and so we are, we are very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. I'm not just, no, just thank you for all the hard work and everything. Yeah, thank it you guys. Great. We loved it. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm forgetting to say something, but I don't remember, so when I remember next time, I'll say it. Okay. Shall we, um, is there a closing hymn? Is there a closing song, or shall we pray? Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are a, um, we're a community learning to love one another, learning to love you better. Uh, we're a long way off, uh, but maybe we always will, because that's the point. As long as we are committed to being with you and, and drawing near to you, uh, maybe that's enough. And so, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can be together. And, and as we go and share a potluck now, God, we pray that... Um, our souls would be nourished by each other's company. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.